0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written Word of God, without error, and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the Word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Today, though, we're going to talk about 1 Peter 5, 1-5. And I'll I'll read the text in a moment, but well, let me go ahead and read it. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. For yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd comes, capital letters, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Remember, we're standing strong because we know that there's a time when Christ is coming back for us. So he he emphasizes that in verse 4. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, reappears, comes back for us, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Your younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you, everybody say all of you, you. clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I'm going to cover five verses here, but let me tell you 5B, the second, last half of 5B is a sermon series all in itself. And so just hold on. God, we can't accomplish anything lest we're humble. We can't grasp anything unless we recognize that there's something to be needed that we have to grasp. And so that's a whole thing. I'm going to try to include it in this teaching. But let me explain to you what's happened here between the transition between what we call chapter 4 and chapter 5. Of course, these transitions didn't exist. You guys know that in the original text. But they divided it in such a way so that it shows that Peter in the last teaching that he did in the last section that we covered, he talked about what it is to be a suffering servant and how we are a suffering servant um, by minding our suffering, making sure that we don't suffer for unrighteousness, but that we suffer for righteousness, that we share in the suffering that Christ had, and ultimately so that we can have confidence in our suffering, know that Jesus Christ is coming back for us. Again, that's the thesis of 1 Peter or this section of 1 Peter. And so, but he's telling us that so that we might be an example to the world outside of these four walls. And so he says, listen, I need you to be all of these things. Out there, you're going to struggle. People are going to be opposed to you. They're going to oppress you. There's going to be suffering. Make sure that you suffer for righteousness, but expect that in your righteousness you're going to receive the final reward. And so he's, what I'm trying to emphasize is that he's separating the church house from the outside of the church. This is how you were to act in public. But then, in, as he transitions to what we call chapter 5, he starts talking about the interior, the in-house expectations. So he stops talking about what's going on out there and starts talking about what's going on in here. This is what you're going to experience out there. This is who you're supposed to be in here to one another. Remember last week, I didn't cover it a whole lot, but it says that judgment will start with the house of God. And so we have to be who we're called to be so that we can be righteous enough to endure or strong enough or patient enough and all of those things to endure what happens out there. But anyway, he brings it from the outside to the inside. And he starts talking about house rules. What, your, what the expectation of the servant is. And that's, that's the title of the message today, The Servant's Expectation. When I was a young man, teenager, my granddaddy had three rules. My papa had three rules outside the house. And they were simple. We were in town. You put your hands in your pockets. You didn't speak unless you were spoken to. And if you were spoken to, it was yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and that's it. If you did these three things, you could, you could almost expect not to be slapped upside the head. But you had to do these three things. But there were also in-house rules. I can remember my papa saying, we don't talk about in-house stuff outside the house. But there were in-house rules. Now, there were hundreds of those including the yes ma'am no ma'am keep your hands to yourself and only talk when you're talking to you had you have to keep your room clean you have to keep your socks rolled to such and such a size you had to do all this stuff you had chores to do so there were expectations both inside the house and outside the house and there were rewards and penalties for not doing those in the house and outside the house requirements and so the same is true for us there is a reward for the out-of-house obedience. But there's also a reward and an expectation for in-house obedience. And so I want to talk about that today. The servant's expectation. What we should expect from ourselves, according to this text, and what we should expect from those around us in the house of God, according to this text. Amen? All right. So I've already read the text In verses 1 through 3, it says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And so he's he's talking to elders. But don't miss the principalization that he's not talking to every leader, every person in the church. When I say leader, if if you're a Christian, and I, I had an argument with a guy at some point years ago, as if you're a Christian, at some level, you're a leader. You have the Spirit of God in you, and you should be leading from the front, both by example, by action, by speech, all of these things. And so he's talking specifically to elders. I don't want to take this out of context, but I'm going to draw the principles for what's expected. He, he tells me, he said, or he tells us, he says, I exhort you as an elder, as someone who witnessed... Christ Jesus. So he's saying, I'm giving first-hand account. I walked with Jesus. I talked with Jesus. This is what I know he expects from us. And a fellow partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. He says this. He said, shepherd the flock of God among you. Love the people around you. Take care of the people around you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. So what's the principle in this text for everybody in the church? Servants are to be properly motivated. We, our self-expectation should be one of self-motivation. He says very specifically that we are not to do what we do because we're under compulsion. That means because someone else is dogging us about it. We should do what we do. We should love the people around us. We should be givers. We should express the gospel. We should do everything that we do. All the things that it's required of the fruits of the Spirit, joy, love, peace, all of these things should be done because we get to. Not because we have to. There was a A couple at Cornerstone Church where we attended wrote a song called I Get To. And it talks about when he was a kid, he, he had to help his dad mow the yard. He had to do this and he had to do that. But at some point he realized that there's an opportunity to get to. So now as his dad's gotten older, he gets to mow the yard with his dad. He gets to spend time in church. He gets to spend time with people that love him. And this is the attitude that the Christian should have. We don't come to church, we don't love, we don't serve, we don't do anything that we do from, because out of compulsion, but because we are properly motivated. This is the reason Jesus did everything that he did. I, I hate, I, you guys know I hold, I hold ministry with a pretty loose hand. If, if you want to come to church here, you're more than welcome. We're going to love you. We're going to check on you if you're gone for more than two weeks because we figure sometimes people just on vacation and we don't want to be the person harassing you all the time. If we don't see you for two weeks, we're going to call you, reach out to you, make sure you're okay. But ultimately, if you decide you're not coming here, I'm not going to chase you. People are, that's not right. You're their pastor. No, if they decide they're not coming here, I'm not their pastor. They've, They've relinquished us us from the responsibility of pursuing them when they show the intent that they no longer desire to be pursued. Now there be times when several months somebody may not be there but they have a reason. they're, They're not just out there doing their thing. But our job is to hold ministry loosely so that we get to love those that God sends us. So that when they walk in they don't walk in here going i got to go to church again. Pastor Jim's going to call me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, I've never called you like that. Unless you did something stupid, and then I called you. But that's something different. (laughs) Right? But we're supposed to act voluntarily. Man, I couldn't imagine not coming to church and being excited about it. I couldn't imagine serving here and not being excited about it. Couldn't imagine... Well, I can't imagine, I'm going to say, taking a 2 o'clock phone call, pray for your cat, uh, which happened to me one time. I wasn't excited about that, but, but I still got the opportunity to. Why do I think it's important? One, because the Word says it's important, that we do everything with a heart of get to, not under compulsion, but because it's what Jesus did. Jesus voluntarily suffered and served. Our job is to voluntarily suffer and serve suffering is, serving is going to cost you something sometimes even to the point of suffering but we're not better than Jesus and if Jesus didn't do it under compulsion but because he wanted to shouldn't we want to I can prove this to you in scripture that he was enforced John ten seventeen and 18 or the first part of 18 says for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again No one has taken it from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. He determined from the foundations of the earth to come here, die for us, suffer and serve so that we might be better. We should take the same attitude. We get to love the people around us. Amen? Not only that though, This I get to attitude destroys the idea of indifference, of laziness. One of the biggest mistakes I made in ministry since we started here, one of the many, 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 but one of the top five probably, is that I didn't give, I was too concerned with people's convenience over their service. Angela and I had many conversations about man, we need to take this off the calendar because I don't want to ask people to come to the church too often or I don't want to, to be a burden on their calendar. That was one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made. We were a burden on Jesus' calendar, but he showed up anyway. We're called to be committed, get-to kind of people. And if you can't come to something, just don't come to something. But don't come to something... Because you're, you feel compelled to do it or, or, or if like someone's forcing you to do it, do it because you get to do it. So he tells us exactly that, Acor- voluntarily, according to the will of God, because this is, the, this is what God's standard is. He says, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. I'm going to start at ministers all the way down. So many people do the ministry for what they can gain from the ministry. I put it on Facebook today like it was my revelation, but it was actually Angela's revelation. I just took credit for it since we have a joint Facebook account. But (laughs) it's a benefit of a joint. Nobody knows. Who wrote this? Too many leaders, ministers, people that call themselves Christians are asking the wrong question. They're asking, the question, they're, they're asking the question, what will this cost me? When the right question is, what will this afford me? This will afford me the opportunity to love people, to preach the gospel, to serve people that no one else is serving, to speak kindly to the people that no one else is speaking kindly to. It's our responsibility to, to do what we do with a get-to attitude not so, what, not so we can determine what we can get from it, but what we can, what we can give to it. Amen? This, Jesus said this in Matthew, and I love this text. Um, Matthew chapter 10, and I'm not going to go all the way through it, but it's 7 through 15. I'm not going to go through the whole text. I'm just going to cover 7 through 15. He says, And as you go, preach. He's he's commissioning his disciples. (coughs) Did I turn myself off? Huh? Okay, I'm good. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's telling them, just go tell one message. I want you to tell a message. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to do it, not because you feel pressure to do it because you get to, He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Man, that's a mouthful right there, right? So he's saying preach the kingdom. But some people are going to need a sign to point to the kingdom. So I'm giving you the ability to perform these miracles so that these miracles might point to the truth that the kingdom of heaven is, is near. But then he goes on, do not acquire gold or silver or comfort for money belts or a bag for your journey, or even two coats or sandals or a staff. He said, don't, don't try to gather stuff to go. Just go. He says this, for the worker is worthy of his support. Those that are called to you will take care of you. You don't have to ask them. You don't have to beg them. You don't have to manipulate them. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it. And stay at that house until you leave the city. If you enter the house, give it your greeting. Give to that house. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. If it's not worthy, take, it, take back your blessing of peace. So he's saying, minister to the people that allow you to minister to them. Expecting that God's going to take care of you, that God has commissioned people to take care of you, but you're, you're not supposed to do what you do so that you can gain unduly something you don't deserve which includes everything from me as a pastor I don't, I don't ask special offerings i don't i don't do a bunch of crazy stuff the church takes care of our needs but at the same time i see not just pastors doing it but i see lay people doing it and people in the church they serve because they want to get at your purse strings. They want to get at your heart strings. And if they know they can get at your heartstrings, they can manipulate you. And I'm not talking about just pastors. I'm talking about people. Well, poor me, man. I, you know, how you doing today? I'm doing good, but, you know, my electric bill ain't been paid. Well, all right, how can we help you? And then you find out it hadn't been paid in three months. And then you pay it because you want to love them. And then you don't see them until their electric bill is three months due again. That is manipulating other people for sordid gain. We see it at that level. We see people trying to vie for position. That's sordid gain. Let God promote you. I do not hold the key to a door you're trying to get through. God holds the key. If He reveals that He's opened that door you to me I will help you get through it alright I'm, I'm all fast does everybody get what I'm saying <laughs> make sure we have an expectation that our intent be true that we do it because we get to and we do it not for sordid gains but so that the gospel might be preached so that we can ultimately say at whatever level we're at The kingdom of God is near. Man, that's good preaching right there. Also, he says this. So, well, I lost my play. I'm in Matthew still, that's why. Therefore, also those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust... Oh, I'm in the wrong place. Nor yet as lording, in verse 3, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So he said, walk around with a get-to attitude, do what you do for the right, with the right motivation, and don't lord who you think you are over the people that are around you. Jesus had a great big discussion with his disciples when two of them come to him and said, we want to sit on, actually their mama did, we want to sit on the, I want my one son to sit on the left hand, the other son to sit on your right hand. Can you make this happen for us? And he says, he says this. He blasts them. In in a very Jesus-y kind of way, I guess. <laughs> Verse, chapter 20 of Matthew, verses 20 through 28. I'm not going to get all the way through that. So the mother comes, blah, 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 all that happens. And hearing this, that the other two had asked for preferential treatment, he said the ten became indignant with the other two, because there's twelve of them. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, their authority. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great amongst you must be your servant. We don't have the authority to lord who we are over other people. Stop looking down our noses at folks. and Be willing to serve wherever God asks us to serve. What? Wherever God asks us to serve. My wife is my wife and I love her. But let me tell you, she'll come in here. Sometimes she preaches from this pulpit. She preaches from this pulpit when I ask her to. Not necessarily out of, she, I, she's under compulsion to do it. <laughs> but she does it because she knows she gets to. But let me tell you, that same woman will clean that toilet if I ask her to. Or if she sees the need for the toilet to be cleaned. Because we don't lord our authority over other people. That's good. Because we're all equal. Galatians 3, 27 through 28. I want you to really grab a hold of this the best you can. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves. So that means literally to clothe. If if I wasn't up here wearing any clothes, Right? Did somebody just throw up in their mouth? Did I just hear that? <laughs> if I if I wasn't up here wearing clothes, I would be exposed. And you'd see the truth of who I am, regardless of how fancy I try to cover it up. We've been clothed in Jesus, which means that we are no longer recognized as us. We are completely enveloped in Christ. Christ, And people should see Christ in us. And then he goes on to continue. He says, So you have completely closed yourselves in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, which means there's no national, no nationality. There's just Jesus. There is neither slave nor free. There's no demographic. There's just Jesus. And there is neither male nor female. There's no sexual orientation, just Jesus. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why don't we lord it over them? Because you're the same as I am. The person next to you is the same as you are. What are you lording over them? According to the Spirit, God no longer sees us male and female, Jew or Greek. But according to His Spirit. So love people with a get-to attitude, with the proper motivation, while not lording it over them. And then in verse 5 he says, submit to one another. In doing all this, just younger men likewise be subject to your elders. It's good advice. This is a do what I say because I'm older than you and I'm smarter than you and I'm wiser than you. And I'm not talking about me specifically. I'm talking about maybe it's time that the younger folks shut up long enough to hear the wisdom of the older folks. Our whole life would be a lot easier. That's not just true in church. That's true in general. But let me tell you why they're not as a whole. Because old people, older people, have forgotten the need to admit that you're older. You're still trying to be cool. you're still trying to be hip. You're still dressing like you're 20 years old. What have you got that I don't already have? What piece of information could you possibly have that I would want to listen to you? I need advice if I'm a woman, or a young woman on what it means to be a mature woman in Christ. Am I going to go to a woman where a 50 year old woman wearing a miniskirt and low cleavage sweater? Not for advice. I'm not, I'm not going to one anyway, just if, I'm a, if I was a younger woman is what I'm saying. Yeah, so, but same for men. You haven't shown your young men how to be men. You're not living as a man. You're living as a child. You're worried about what makes you happy. You're not willing to commit. There's a bunch of problems with the older generation of men, too. You guys have heard me say this. We forgot to how to be grandfathers when the warriors around us need somebody to talk to. Anyway, (laughs) I could go on and on for that. Expect from one another submission. He says that. He says, younger men, be subject to your elders. And I'm just adding elders, be worthy of being subjected to, submitted to. And then he says this, and all of you. So he says, all of you. Clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. I said a sermon series. You know what? Your offense is only an offense. You know how it's impossible to offend a person that's truly humble, because a person that's truly humble recognizes who they truly are. There's nothing that you're not good, that you're going to say to them or about them that they're not going to say it's true but for Christ Jesus it's it's a lesson i'm still learning but it is impossible to insult someone who's humble that's why jesus from the cross asked for forgiveness for the people that were killing him he couldn't be offended Because he knew who he was. He knew what he had. He knew where he was going. Amen? And the fact of the matter is, if for no other reason, it's because the Bible says, according to this text, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This text, and I'm going to finish here. I'll have to. (laughs) Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says, that is Isaiah speaking about God, for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. So This is what God says. I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite, which means the broken, and the lowly of spirit, the humble, in order to revive the heart of the broken, the contrite. And my heart's broken. Go to the high and holy place. Submit yourself in humility to God. And you won't be opposed, according to this text, but you'll be given grace. And if we could just come to realize that, then the promise of verse 4 is true. If we can realize that we are called to be in-house Christians too, that we're called... With an expectation of self. Then this promise is true. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know what I love about that text? The word unfading. So a crown of glory is what they used to give during athletic games and whatnot. It was, it was, they would give a crown as opposed to a trophy. But he says, if you just do what I tell you to do, if you'll do what the word of God commands, what the Holy Spirit has breathed, you're going to win the trophy at the end of your life. And it is going to be forever unfading. It is brilliant today, or is, is it will be a million years from now. There's no dusting it all, no packing it in boxes, no days of when you were the athlete. You will have the unfading, crown of glory that's the promise to us but we have to expect from ourselves and expect from those around us in house before we go out of house amen